Folks, my guest today is Massimo Di Costanzo, and he's the owner of Di Costanzo Wines. And Massimo and I actually have a history that goes way back. We've been what I'm going to call acquaintances for a while. He used to come in as a customer to this butcher shop that I used to work at in Napa, and this is a testament to how small of a world this industry is. His wine that he makes now was served to us during the meal that I had during the, this place called French Laundry Video. And so Massimo had that video recommended to him on YouTube, and he watched it, and then he reached out on Instagram. Fascinating. So I obviously wanted to, one, catch up with him, and two, we're kind of using this episode not to just do that, but to get his lessons on winemaking, branching out and finding your own identity, starting your own thing, and so much more. And so if you enjoyed this conversation, I would also recommend you queue up my conversation with John Miller, who also gave a ton of insight into wine and food and how they function in restaurants and tasting menus, especially at the high caliber places. If at any point you would like to check out Di Costanzo Wines, you want to chat to Massimo or ask him or his wife Erin a question, you can check that out in the links and the description in the show notes of your podcast player or on the website that you happen to be listening to this episode on. Massimo. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's really good to see you after so long, it seems like. Yeah, man. Thank you for having us. We're really pleased to be here and reconnect. So I'm a Wisconsinite at heart. I don't think I told you this way back in the day in, in Napa. And so cheese, believe it or not, holds a special place in my heart. What do cheese making and winemaking have in common? And this is based on some research we were doing on you. If you didn't do winemaking, you might be a cheesemaker. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I love the flavors of cheese. The common thread is kind of that microbial world, right? And these flavors that you get from kind of the complexity of, of you know, microbiology, but also of terroir. And so it, for me, it is quite similar um, in that sense. Yeah, maybe with climate change, maybe I'll, I'll switch to uh, <laughs> switch to cheese making, but that's a whole nother conversation particular cheese that you would kind of gravitate towards or a type of milk that you would you would I mean I mean that that world is kind of again like I was in cow's milk land uh but then I worked cheese station at French Laundry so that was my first foray into kind of like nice cheeses that we would get in and then it's like oh we don't use them right away we actually age them until they're perfect and then what temperature do you serve them at there's so many nuances that I just you know People make fun of us because we wear foam cheese heads at the top of our on our skulls when we go to football games. But like, right. and wine is the same, right? Like, there's like box wine, there's like the the cheap stuff, and then there's like taking it as as an art form. So I'm I'm curious if if you would gravitate towards any type of of cheese. Um, I I tend to gravitate gravitate towards softer cheeses, kind of that really like. Just like, you know, almost like spoon, you know, you can spoon it out right. uh, kind of cheese. Uh, I know like Jasper Hill, like their Winamere or like their Harbison. Those are pretty um, for like domestic cheese. It's fun to talk about domestic cheese. What's cool about wine and cheese, it's they, they come from a place, you know, and, and I think that is what's what really draws me to both. And you can taste what the animals are eating and and and, and the end result of that. Um, and the same with kind of that terroir of, of 
winemaking. So in that sense, they, they're, they're super similar. Do you have, do you have any favorites in particular? Um, Briat Severin is a, is a, again, to that like soft cheese when that's aged, um, uh, perfectly, it's hard, it's hard to go wrong, uh, with that. I, I, I think that would probably be anytime I see that on a menu, I end up having to like compulsively just order it regardless of if it's paired with something, uh, sweet or, or, or not. Um, Iplos is also one that I just like as, as funky as it is and as just, you know, kind of like off-putting as it can be to certain people. I just, I had to make recipes with that cheese enough times and I've worked with it long enough where it's almost like there, there, there are certain people who I think if they grow up in a, in a house where they're probably their father drank kind of like, um, particularly bitter beers, they would probably be more likely to enjoy beers that have more of like a bitter kind of like hop forward kind of flavor palette versus the person who just like, they, I don't know. I, I think it's repeat exposure to totally. nice funky, like blue Darvern. Like uh, I love what cheese can, cause I think that what, what gets missed or at least where I grew up is like more, the more cheese, the better. And I think I, I, I swung the other way to wanting to go to like, if I have just one bite of this, can you just sit with that and just be in like full expression of that cheese making, cheese maker region, all the things that you're talking about? Yeah. And that's kind of what I gravitated towards versus the kind of just like the cheese pull mac and cheese where you just have like a giant bowl of it and that's exactly what you enjoy. So yeah, those are some of my, my favorites. Yeah. Another one of my favorites is, um, it's uh, it's called Marzolino and it's a cheese. It's a, uh, it's a pecorino that they make in Italy in the spring. Marzo means March and it's a super fresh pecorino. And so I'm always really, whenever I go to, whenever I go to like Florence, I'm always searching out the Marzolino cheese because, um, and I try to go in the spring cause it's such a, that fresh cheese is also really something special about being in the season. You know, there's aged cheeses, but there's always, you know, something special about fresh cheese as well. And just like, you know, it's like fresh bread, right? Like fresh out of the oven. It's kind of, or like that fresh olive oil straight out of the centrifuge. Like those, those are things that, you know, this kind of like the highest kind of expression of, of, of those ingredients. To get a sense of your background, I'm curious if there was a moment in your winemaking experience where you ever took a step back and you're like, damn, I can make really good wine. Like I'm really good at this. Like, do you, do you, do you is there a moment that comes to mind where you had that thought? No, not yet. <laughs> still pushing for I, it. I think I'm still pushing. I think I, I kind of, I tend to have perfectionist tendencies, um, which has its pros and its cons, you know? So it's kind of like, you're always kind of searching and uh, improving. Um, but there is a point in, in your life when you have to say, okay, you have to find some happiness in it too. So um, joy, you have to find joy, right? In what you do and, um, and sit back and, and not be overly critical of, of what you do. Cause I'm sure chefs that, you know, like, you know, do they always enjoy their food or are they thinking about it too much, you know? So winemakers can fall into that same pattern, and and uh, it, it's it. I have to remind myself to to take a step back and take a deep breath and 
And, uh, but it's nice when people, you know, give feedback and they, you know, th those are really comforting things and, and reinforcing, but I, I've always, I've always tried not to get, you know, I don't want to, I'm not an ego guy. I'm not a right. big head guy. I just stay humble and, and also always be a student. You know, I think for me, that's a big part of how I approach things. Always be a student, always learn, always, you know, have a, have a learner's mind. I think for me that, that is don't assume that you know everything. Cause that's, that's when you start making mistakes and yeah, I don't know. It, I think being a learner is, is, I don't know. It's, it's, it's more fun. I don't know. And you make, I think you'll make better wine in the, in the long run if you can evolve. I appreciate you being so honest with that answer because I think that the, the, the goal of that question is obviously to dive back into some of your experience. And so what moments of winemaking maybe made you feel humbled? Like you're, you're taking a look at what you're doing and you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Well, I think in my time at, at um, you know, I became the assistant winemaker at Screaming Eagle in 2006. And, you know, I was solely production focused. And I think, um, yeah, that was like an aha moment. I was like, wow, I'm really in this place. But I realized I wanted to wear more hats. You know, I was, I was like, okay, I'm here. You know, like you're at this three-star Michelin. You're at the French Laundry doing this. And, and that's kind of, I was at this kind of top place. But I realized that I wanted to wear more hats than just production and kind of create something that was my own. And that was kind of an aha moment for me where, yeah, there was a shift and the shift was to go out and, you know, kind of take a, you know, a big risk and give, give it a shot. You know, I was 20, I would have been, you know, I started when I was 26 and then I left when I was 28. So basically I started buying my first grapes around at, once I left at 28 years old. And, um, but that was kind of an aha moment for me um, in terms of like the shifting of my career because I, yeah, I wanted to interact with people and not just run a facility, not just run a kitchen. You know, I wanted to do more. Yep. Um, so, um, that was, that was a big, you know, one of the big moments in my life for sure. What was the environment like at Screaming Eagle? You know, it was, it was, it's a, it was a small team, you know, we took over from the, it was with the new owners. So we took over from the previous owners, uh, Gene Phillips that sold it. And, um, yeah, it was a small team. It was myself and an assistant and a, and a head winemaker who was more of kind of consulting. Uh, um, and then, and then it was, then it was the vineyard crew. So that was kind of like, it was like me and the vineyard crew kind of like lived at the property. And that was, those were really special moments and, and talk about good food. Um, those guys can cook. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in touch with those guys today. Cause you know, we've got, we, we bonded over those, over those couple of years. It's kind of a humble place. You know, it's not a grand chateau. It, it, it's it's a ranch. You know, it's a ranch, and that's what I I think it was what makes it special. That it's it's just kind of low key, and like, you know, you just roll up and you know have some carnitas and drink some Scream Eagle and and and, Live and the dream. that's like 
that's the thing that people don't really get to enjoy, you know, is like the place. So uh, it, it, it's, it's one of those, the first time I ever drove on property, it was like, okay, I get it. I get why this place is special. Um, you know, you have those experiences when you, when you visit certain vineyards and you're like, I want to make wine from this place. But, but that's kind of what it was like. And, and, you know, being young and, and yeah, there was a lot of pressure and, but I kind of had the mentality of like, it's just wine. We're just, we're just making wine. It's just from this special place and <laughs> it's very expensive and, you know, make sure and empty out the pump after every uh, uh, movement so, because every little drop is, is worth quite a bit. You have that aha moment where you say, I want something a little bit more than, than, than where I'm at. Why not go get the experience somewhere else where you can wear a couple more hats? Why make the decision to go start your own thing? Boy, that's a really good question. Um, I did go, so I did, I did not just stop fully working. I was able to buy my first grapes, but in turn, I was, I worked um, with Philippe Melka consulting for um, a couple of vintages. So that would have been 08 and 09. And then after that to really, you know, cause this is all self-funded. So in 2010, so I'd made 08 and 09 and then 20, and I made that at the Ferella Vineyard in Coombsville. And then in 2010, I started sourcing Ferella fruit and that became the first um, Dico Stanza wine. Because you guys didn't put out 08 and 09, right? Like you guys No, I sold those off as shiners. Wow. Um, Just because there wasn't continuity in the vineyard. And I wanted to find a place where, you know, there was a really good relationship with the grower and they wanted to kind of help, you know, maybe someone on the younger side. And that was the Ferrella family. They were, they were really very supportive. So for, let's see, about five years, I would help them with their wines and make my wine in the same facility. And that really allowed me to get my brand off the ground. So you're spending that time doing the consulting and seeing the vintages kind of like all come together. Can you lay out for maybe if there's like a young winemaker or a young Psalm or even a chef who's kind of like, this cooking thing's great, but I I, I really want to do wine someday. What are those skills that you're like, observing, developing, identifying that you have a gap in, like when you're spending this time and you're learning all of this stuff, because clearly like you're, you're saying there's a, there's a frustration of being just at this place where you want to wear more hats, but then there's where you are now. And I think like, I want to, I want to fill in some of the gaps for folks of like what you were able to develop during that time. Well, I think I wanted to, I think I also wanted to create something that was mine. I think I, I, I think I ended up finding that wine was so personal and I was putting so much of my effort into it. And I don't know if this is like a young person thing or like I, I was hard to give that up, you know? And I said, cause I didn't come from wine, you know, I'm not from a wine family. So this is, this is, was all kind of new to me. Yeah. You know, you're an artist and you've created this product and when you put yourself into it, it, you know, it kind of feels like yours, you know, but then, but then if you, you know, you have to give that up, you know, if you're working for somebody else. I think my perspective is different now. I think when I was 26 years old, I think I had a different perspective. We all did. Uh, Yeah, we all did. Right. For sure. But what I'd say to a younger person, I mean, what I did, I, so I went to Davis 
and then I started working harvest abroad. That's what, so I worked in Argent, so worked in Italy and Argentina and South Africa, and really trying to understand what, what great wine is or was, because what great wine is, is it's very subjective and, you know, culturally it's subjective too. So yeah, I would say go get experience in, in the wine world, you know, and then bring that back, you know, bring that back here. You know, I always, I was like, go work in other chefs' kitchens, and then you can find your style. I had that on my list of questions to ask you because that quote came out as, as we were just kind of doing some homework on you is the advice to go work a harvest abroad and then come back. What specifically about working abroad stands out to you? Is it the change in the environment? Is it they're using different methods than what we use here domestically? Or the age of the vines that you're working with? Like, why not? If you're living in New York, why not go to California to quote unquote get your experience? And then, like, what's special about going abroad in your mind? Um, I just think it maybe helps to just see how people view wine and see how people live life and see wine, how people interact with wine. I just think it gives you better perspective. I mean, I also, you know, working in Tuscany, I was like, wow, these grapes are a lot less sweet than they are here in, in California, you know, and tasting these wines, you know, they taste, they taste great. Like maybe we don't need to pick as ripe as we do and still make really great wine, but, you know, just as an example. So I think that kind of stuff is important because, you know, if you just come and work in California and you work for the same house, um, not to say you won't evolve. I think you, I think you will evolve, but I think to have those other experiences in your back pocket, you know, kind of, yeah, are, are important. You touched on your experience at UC Davis, and the story goes that you planned to study business there, but then you kind of had a change of course at some point in time. You're clearly using both skills now, your wine education and your business education. So looking back, was that a good decision to make that that change, or would you have done it differently? Or, or what, what were sometimes, some yes, sometimes no. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because so and the follow up question on that is, is how did you acquire the business skills you have now? Did you just punt it and say, I'm actually going to go full? I'm going to play to my strengths and I'm going to, you know, delegate the business side of things. Where where does your head go? I kind of let the wine guide me because I didn't really know if there was going to be a market for it. So once there, you know, there was a market for it, you know, I didn't give up my day job either so until later but yeah so i kind of had to learn i mean i had some basic business skills but you know but like putting together like a cash flow like i had to you know there was a point when i was like oh maybe maybe that's important <laughs> totally. and maybe that maybe that will help are we gonna be in the red or we're gonna be in the black and all that kind of stuff so um that came that came a little later on as we started growing a little bit and as my wife erin she came on board because that then it really became important to you know if we were both going to be full-time for this business um you know we had to run a, t a tighter ship yeah the creative winemaking part but then yeah there is the business end and just like i'm sure in restaurants you know um in any business um, there comes a point when you say, okay, I, I gotta like, all right, we gotta, gotta really start doing this, <laughs> you know, and then you get like a line of credit from the bank and you're like, oh, oh wow. Okay. So now I'm on the hook for this. And, uh, so let's see, 
I'm just not ashamed of talking about it, I think. That's kind of where I've landed because I was in that place when I was the hungriest, most ambitious culinary school student. And I was looking this decision in the face of like, do you stay on and do your bachelor's to get the business savvy? Or do you go off and do this gallivanting around the world to work at three Michelin star places? And semi-similar to what you chose, like, I mean, I can't go to school for Michelin food. You just kind of have to start working. And so I chose the, the art route versus the business route. And I found that I had to kind of like do a little bit of catch up once I started to kind of get into my later 20s where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm significantly lacking in these skills. But I found that it was like, I can learn these in different places. It doesn't have to be at an institutionalized school environment. So that, that really helped me. And that's why I was curious where you started mm -hmm. in this place and you changed. I think it was the right way to go. I think business you can, you can pick up and you can, you can learn along the way. Do I know anything about derivatives or I, I don't know, like, you know, sure. stuff like, no, not really, but you know, kind of the basic foundational stuff, you know, do, do I need to go get an MBA? Is that kind of like, no, I need to invest in, in, you know, in our business and improving. Did you, you end up going that route? Did you end up going to school? No, you, no, I finished my associate's like degree and then I just went, went out into the world and started working. And it was only once yeah. I got a management position where it was realistic for me to kind of like start to sit in the finance meetings and start to, you know, I, I actually had HR conversations that I would have on the day to day. And so that yeah. was kind of the pivotal shift in me starting to think about, um, you know, kind of putting, putting the knife and the pots and pans down and starting to kind of like sit in front of a computer monitor and work on spreadsheets and, and stuff like that. And, and truly it's like, I, I really fell in love with it. I, I went through a, a bit of a rough patch where I would like really push back on it. And it, I, I really felt like an immense sense of it was getting stripped from me and I wasn't getting a sense, a, a chance to cook on the day to day anymore. And that really, it was hard. It was hard for me to kind of deal with that. I, I often tell the anecdote of the, the, I got the knife taken out of my hand and someone handed me a clipboard and that's how it felt. But now I love it. Like setting up systems, like, you know, diving into numbers, projecting how things are going to work, what we want to launch, like all, all those sorts of things have completely changed for me because I learned that it was, it's, it felt like starting at zero again when I went from, cause I, I felt so, apt at cooking. I felt mm -hmm. so uh, comfortable there and doing anything business related was really hard for me. So I grappled with it, but yeah, I just, I, I like to ask because certain tools that people will sometimes use to fill those gaps can help other people as they're kind of progressing through their career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, putting together a budget and cash flow and, and all those things yeah, have just been like, they're kind of like, my uncle calls it anxiety busters, you know, like, you know, it's, it's good to see kind of, you know, what the future might look like, you know, and what's the worst case scenario and the best case scenario and, and where's in the middle and, and yeah, it can really help you predict what you can and can't do. I mean, it's, it's a powerful tool. This is potentially a vulnerable question and you can kind of let me know where your, where your head goes on this, but I said it in my voiceover of the this place called French Laundry Video when I had the opportunity to have your wine as part of the pairing. And I said something to the effect of, 
And this wine is from the winemaker who used to work at Screaming Eagle. And I said that because when the server, the, the I can't remember if it was a server or some, brought that wine over and they showed us the bottle and that was the kind of like two sentence liner that they shared as they were presenting the bottle. And when I moved to Seattle and I started doing pop-up dinners, I would have food critics and Instagram influencers and whatever come to my dinners and then they would ask me about my work experience. And then I would say I worked at French Laundry or I worked at Grace or I worked in Scandinavia or whatever. And it was always this kind of like two-liner about Justin from French Laundry is doing food. And I'm curious, that really irked me. Like I always wanted to kind of like shed that and I wanted to just kind of like stand alone as my own person. So when you hear that or kind of like, is that something that you take with a little bit of pride of like, my experience at Screamin' Eagle makes me the winemaker that I am today? Or is it something where, and, and quite honestly, for me, I, I think there was a little bit of like ego wrestling that I was doing. And, and as I think about Justin, when I moved here and I was like, don't talk about French Laundry, don't talk about French Laundry, talk about me. I think there's mm -hmm. a little bit of ego there. But I'm curious, how do you deal with that kind of like reputation plus social proof plus signaling plus like there's so many things that happen when people talk about you or your work in that way so i totally. I'd, I'd really love to know how you approach that yeah i don't really i've always i guess i, I don't know if i'm embarrassed about it but i've never wanted it to like i've always wanted to prove myself outside of that that world so out of that winery in particular. So it was something that I never really touted or put forward. Yeah, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit, you know, when somebody says it. I, I know like my buddy went to Harvard and when, you know, he drops the H-bomb when you know, he says, oh, I went to Harvard. It's kind of similar, you know? Yep. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always wanted to prove my worth outside of the winery. And like, I, I wanted to like say, well, Massimo can make really great wine outside of that, that winery. And that was something I really wanted to prove to myself. Um, it wasn't Screaming Eagle that made me great. It was, you know, Massimo can do this outside of that. French Laundry alone, Screaming Eagle alone. You know, you hear that a lot. And, uh, and, you know, it's a nice club to be in for sure. I'm not, I'm not mad, but I, but there was something to prove for sure. Well, that was going to be kind of my next question. Cause I, looking back at again, past Justin, I didn't set the parameters of like, at what point will you be able to confidently say that you have proven yourself or you have broken past beyond just being a French laundry alum? Like, is, is it? when all of a sudden articles that write about you or your work don't mention French Laundry at all? Like, is, is that the metric of success? Like, how are we, right. what stick are we using to measure this feeling of inadequacy that you're feeling? And at what point is that going to kind of like go away? Do you have something like that for yourself? Or is it something that you just think, if I continue down the, this path, it is inevitable that I will get to that place where all of a sudden that ends up happening or do you just not again not think about it anymore i just think the that hopefully just dico stanzo overtakes that yep 
you know, and then it's just like, oh, yeah, it's Massimo Dico Sanza. Oh, yeah, he makes those great wines, you know, Dico Sanza. Oh, they age great. <laughs> you know, like they, they, they're of a particular style. Like, oh, like you'll, you'll really love them. Oh, they're great people. Like, that's what I, you know, and then also like maybe, you know, it's like not rocking the business card anymore. Like maybe that's like <laughs> a sign of, a sign of like, okay, like maybe, maybe you're starting to like get some traction. I think that there's a, there's a balance to be found between forming your own identity, like you're saying, and when you don't have an identity yet, and I wish I would have done this is like, use that resume, what uh, alum title, whatever you want to call it as a tool. Like, I yeah. wish I would have just like completely hammered it home to like make it almost like a meme of like, I'm the French laundry guy, <laughs> like, or, and you know, like not to the point where I was actually like artificially inflating it, but I wish I would have leaned into it more because sure. when you don't have an identity yet, like it gets your foot in the door. Like it, my, I had a, a business partner who would say the anecdote of it gives people something to hang their hat on. And I think that that's something that like, I wish I would, uh, I'm upset that I, that I felt that insecurity where I was like, no, don't, don't talk about French laundry or any of the places that I worked at because it was, yeah. And, and again, I don't mean to turn this into a therapy session, but I, I, I see, I see similar, <laughs> like I wanted to get your thoughts on it because it is yeah. clearly something that you think about as well. Yeah. I could have, I could have rocked it harder. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 But I, I did not, you know, and then there was this like wine is weird because, you know, while I'm like, you know, for a few years, like I'm making this wine behind the scene that no one really knows about. And, People are like, what's Mosmo doing? Where's he at? Like, does he even have a job? Like, <laughs> ethically, I feel like better about it. Maybe everyone's different in the in the way. You know, I'm not really a salesman kind of person, so I'm 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 kind of the back of the house kind of guy. <laughs> right, right. Which is a lot of the people listening fall into that camp too, and so it's it's kind of a good segue segue into another question I had, and this is similarly to the young winemaker the psalm, the maybe chef who wants to kind of foray into wine maybe later in their career. And they're looking at what you guys do and they're like, this looks amazing. I want to do that someday. And I'm not looking for any sort of dissuasion here, but I, I just want you to be real with me. What do most people get wrong about owning a winery? Oh boy. Um, how cash intensive, intensive it is, you know, how uh, how much patience that you need though, you know, you, it's kind of this vicious cycle of, you know, mother nature, like you're, you know, with beer, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to brew, you know, this month, but like, you know, every year, you know, you have this cycle and then you have inventory and is that inventory backing up? And, you know, fortunately we haven't been in that s scenario. Um, but that is a common thing that happens. I self-funded this. Um, well, you, you that... said cash is, is cash flow. Like what, what is it like you weren't expecting labor to be so high? You weren't expecting the infrastructure of equipment to be so high. You weren't expecting storage to cost so much. Like so what? All the above. I mean, all great pricing, it. you know, in yeah. Napa, like yep. great pricing. Yep. Um, that's huge. It just continually goes up. Um, production space, you know, I was able to like, to start because I was, I could kind of trade services for, to, to make my wine. So I got a good head start. Um, but if I were going to do it again, 
uh, at this age, I, I'd probably look to investors, you know, if, you know, unless I had already a, uh, you know, a business that was, you know, that could pay for it. But, you know, it's a great industry. And, you know, I don't want to just say the, the tough parts, but it's a great industry in a lot of ways. But I think, you know, and then also one of the hardest parts is how do you stand out? You know, how do you stand out? How do you, how do you, how do you become one of the cool kids or how do you, you know, how, yeah. How do you, how do you stand out in a, in a crowded field? You know, what's that vision? I think I had a pretty good vision of a pretty good, like, I, I thought there was a niche for these kind of wines. Fortunately, it's been nice to see that people enjoy them. I also had a question on my list, which you segued perfectly to, which was, as you guys are thinking about brand building, whether it's even at the start, and you can take this as a snapshot moment where you're going to give your answer from, or even like last week as you guys are building this brand over time, what do you guys discuss in those strategy meetings? Like how do those typically flow? Like does does a lot of that just like reiterate the vision and we need to just continue to push towards that North Star? Or like how, how or maybe you can talk about how that strategy has changed over time. I thought that the brand was going to be like this and then we put it out there and then all of a sudden it transformed into something completely different. How do you guys think about strategy? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, strategically, we just try to stay as focused as possible on, on I think, what we're, what we're doing um, and fine-tuning that and, you know, maintaining, because we don't own vineyard, so that's another tough thing is that, I mean, it can be a, there's pros and cons to that. So maintaining fruit sort, you know, quality fruit sources. One of the biggest things is now with climate change and fires, how do we, you know, part that's, that's been a lot of strategy conversation is, you know, well, maybe we need strategic inventory that we hold back. We, you know, you kind of build that library that you have to kind of weather some storms. In Burgundy, you have hail and frost and, you know, some years you might, you know, only have a several barrels of wine, but you know, you lean on those back vintages to maybe, you know, smooth things out a little bit. So those are things that, you know, we never really thought about before. You mentioned that you identified that there was a niche that your, the wine that you wanted to make could potentially either fill, fit into, however, however you want to describe that. Was that a, I mean, in, in a lot of sense, was that a prediction or you did the research to kind of like see because because was it was it a case of like you ended up creating a category or did you identify there was a category or type of style that the shelves or the 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 portfolio of 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 uh, uh what makers that restaurants carry were missing and you're like oh this is a and, and was that a correct prediction or did you end up kind of having to adjust once you once the did market gave it? you some feedback. Did I screw that one up? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, what I, the, the, the niche already existed. Yeah. Know, and it was basically like producers that I really admired. And, and I could kind of count them on, you know, two hands. And I said, wow, I could become one of those producers, um, you know, in a field of 800. 
and maybe and it wasn't just like oh i could stand out more it was the fact that i really like those wines and i want to make those wines how and there's not tons of people doing that how can i how can i be in that group um because they were wines that i napa wines that i gravitated towards what gave me the confidence i'll say was screaming eagle screaming eagle gave me the confidence because it was one of those wines you know regardless of the price stylistically it was one of those wines and i said wow if not that i was like oh i can make an, the next screaming eagle that was never on my agenda but it was like wow stylistically these wines are are very coveted and i can i can make you know a, you know this style that i'm grouping these wineries into in that same vein and still maybe have success so i can kind of make the wines that i believe in and i don't want to say other you know that's a slippery slope but i you know stylistically i can make the wines that i want to make and there could be a a, a channel there could be channels is a lame word there could there, there could be there could be an audience for for these wines you touched on on production and how you guys think about going from year to year and you also mentioned those first two in 08 and 09 those didn't ever end up getting you know put out on the de costanza label when you look at production now you have like quality quantity and if you have you really push for like you're talking about perfection 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 the quantity might be zero because like you're never going to yeah. achieve whatever this arbitrary perfection is but then simultaneously if you go for quantity 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 the quality in most cases has to go down so how do you guys balance that where it's like you need to put something out there but it needs to be to a certain quality level how do you how do you deal with that yeah we're kind of finding that out i mean i think um right now it's kind of at a level where you know i i can do the work once we get past that then then it's okay we need to you know bring somebody in to help you know i do all the physical work and you know but maybe like hey okay maybe we need to go to a different facility where there can be some more service to, to help with production and then that could make it easier to grow and still i think uh retain quality because um, we're, we're pretty small we make about you know 1500 cases so but you know i'm 42 okay like you know pre-arthritis in the knees and <laughs> Uh, maybe Massimo needs a little help. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to think about those things where we're before. You know, it's a lot to juggle. I have this question I'd like to ask folks who are kind of at the top of their game, and I call it the meta job interview question. And unfortunately, Facebook changed their name, so now everybody just thinks that that's what I'm, what I'm talking about, but it's not. So I, I can distinctly sure. remember when I was starting to try to apply for jobs out of culinary school, I had a cook at a place I was staging at kind of pull me aside and tell me, hey, you're going to sit down with chef at the end of this whole thing. Don't tell them anything about wanting a TV show because that's immediately just going to be a red flag and like you're not going to get hired here. Yeah. Is there anything that you see in either, again, young winemakers or anything that's like someone's just butting into this where you're like, 
yeah, that that it's cool that you think like that, but th- th- this is not, this is not not correct well, in, in think, your opinion. Yeah, I think it's good advice to kind of you know, I mean, I, you know, to slow your roll a little bit. You know, I think everyone needs to have dreams. You know, but to say, hey, like, you know, wine is slow. Um, it's patient. You know, it's a patient person's game. You know, all those things I would, you know, give as advice. Um, and, you know, you want, you want, you're hungry and you want the world and you might get it, but just, just know it's going to maybe take a little bit longer than, than you're expecting and, you know, be ready for that and, but, and be ready to, to learn and, and get your hands dirty. As we start to, to, wrap up here i have a couple rapid fire questions for you they don't have to be rapid fire answers okay is there a book that's been particularly impactful in your career it's probably more like cooking cookbooks yeah i think cookbooks yeah. cookbooks have honestly like um not less so wine wine books i mean there's yeah i i do like like kermit lynch's book on the wine road i think that it's very romantic I don't know, like Jacques Pepin and like those dudes, like that dude is like, that dude's super cool. I love that, you know, art of the art of living and, and food and wine being a whole part of that. Um, and that's what I'm really interested in is like just living. Yeah. Living at that, you know, I don't want to say at a higher level, but like, like just enjoying the pleasures of, of life and that being, you know, food and wine and, and community and people. But yeah, I love, I love cooking and, and um, thinking about ingredients, you know, bring this back to the fatted calf, you know, like, you know, searching out ingredients and like meeting the people behind those ingredients, I think is super cool. And that is what inspires me. And it also inspires my winemaking, you know, like Italian food, it's very ingredient driven. And and that's how I look at my winemaking as very ingredient driven and, and less, you know, there is technique, but I really want the ingredients, the, you know, the raw material to kind of shine through. I mean, I think that was one of the coolest parts about you coming in as a customer to Fatted Calf is that like, man, and, and Ryan, who is my boss, Ryan Harris, shout out to Ryan, would always say like, Massimo's going to take this. Crepinette, and he's gonna go and drink it with the uh, and eat it with the most incredible wine that he made himself. Like, and and just the the you you crack the nut, man. Like you, you have you have just the lifestyle and the combination of your interests with your work. And happy to jam on that. Uh, take a break from rapid fire questions for a second, because because is everything else just gravy? Because you have been able to achieve this lifestyle for yourself it's pretty gravy man i mean it's 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 hard no dude i'll be honest like it's hard like this you know like there's a lot of pressure i feel the pressure i think mostly to like to come through you know i I, to to like make really great wine every time And, and you know yeah when you get to like decant that bottle and like yeah like cook up some crepinettes and you know or like some really nice prosciutto and you know, it's also finding pleasures in the simple things, right? You know, which I think, I think uh, can can get lost a lot. Because, like, are you into I, other things? Do you like watches? Do you like cars? Do you like cigar? Like, I don't. 
You know, there was, no, not, I don't collect a lot of, I don't collect a lot. Like my brother, he collects a lot of things. Yeah. Watches and tools and, and um, I mean, I like food and wine. I like, um, yeah, I guess I like, you know, I, my, my dad was an antique restorer. He restored antique furniture. So I like going to the flea market and kind of like searching out, like finding cool, well-made things. Um, yeah, I, I like I like that kind of stuff. And then time with the kids. But yeah, but but I do all the cooking at the house. And yeah, I derive a lot of pleasure from, from that. Okay, we'll go. I'm, I'm diving back in. Okay. Other cookbooks. You said Jack Pippen. Any other cookbooks that stand out or that have been kind of like, I changed how I cooked after I read this book or this gave me a lot of insight? I like the, uh, like, Giorgio Locatelli. I think his, his book is really good. I like... Um, it's like the joy of cooking for Italy. It's, you know, um, uh, Pelle, uh, Artuzzi. Yep. And then I have some like printed pamphlets that I found in a book bookstore in Florence. Um, those are, yeah, I kind of cherish those. And, uh, you know, and that's something I learned from my grandparents in Italy. That's how they, that's how they cooked. So, and, and then my dad, you know, obviously my dad brought that to the table. So my father's Italian, my mother's American. She met him there and brought him back. So I grew up in a very like Italian home in Berkeley. <laughs> Wild. And, and uh, you know, Southern Italian home. He's from Positano. So green vegetables and drenched in olive oil and, and fish and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we'd be, you know, for Christmas, it'd be cannelloni and, and you know, lamb and anyways. But so it was, it was kind of an interesting childhood um, in, in that sense. You know, my, my house was different than, you know, like the other kids, my other friends. But, you know, it was, it was cool. It was, it was like being kind of like being in Italy. I asked this question to chefs, but I will pivot it to be more of a winemaker related question for you. And the question is, is there a technique you're still intimidated by? And for chefs, I say in the kitchen, and for chefs, they'll sometimes say butchery or making souffle or or whatever. Is there something in winemaking where you're like, eh, I, I I wouldn't really touch that, or I, I still don't know how to do that, or eh, that, yeah. that kind of makes me nervous? Most winemakers would say bottling. That's like kind of the, the answer. Why? Because there's so many little components to it and machines and and things that can go wrong and it's like so you know that's usually why there's you know you have a technician come in who's specialized um i didn't know that and then and then for me yeah i'm i've been thinking more about filtration and filtering my wines which i haven't really been doing and that's something that that is a little bit intimidating and it's actually intimidating me right now. <laughs> Why? What so it's a very intimidating question. Well, it's just kind of like the unknown, you know, it's like, it's, you have to learn something, you know, you have to learn something and, and it's, um, you know, you don't want to mess up your wine and, but it's also supposed to, you know, it can, can enhance it. You know, it's been really hard to ship wine, you know, that the windows of shipping wine is, is, have become more and more challenging. Because it's just like, it's either like cold and then it's hot. It's like, there's no like, so filtration, you know, it will help, you know, stabilize the wine. It, it's kind of a philosophical question too that I've been wrestling with. It's, and it kind of comes back to cheese a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
how much applause do you want? You know, how, how right. strong do you want the applause to be? Right. You know, like, is there somewhere in between that is like the sweet spot, you know? So it's funny that you mentioned the cheese so, um, because it kind of comes back to that a little bit. So you're, you're going to make this decision to, to filter. How yeah. do you do that? Like, do you, do you try it on a small amount or do you just say this, we're going to commit to this decision. Everything this year is going to be filtered and we're going to just see if it works or if it's not like, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying it on one wine because in 2020 we only made one wine because of the smoke. And, um, you know, I was like, you know what, this would be the, this is the year to try it. You know, I mean, I don't make this decision lightly, you know, I've done a lot of research and tasting and a lot of times it can make the wine better. So where I've always felt like it's kind of take, it takes away, but it can actually enhance a wine. So that's what I'm really curious about. And, and that's how I'm trying to keep that learner's kind of mentality, the student's mentality, because you can kind of get caught up in your beliefs and your ideals, you know? And so how do you take a step back and say, well, wait a second, like, has this really been the, like, the, the way that is this, has this been the right way? Or maybe is this path, you know, maybe it's shades of gray, I don't know, but it, it's, it's has definitely made me question what I've been doing the last, you know, 15 years, not, not in a bad way, but just makes me just like say, oh, well, wow, this method could Maybe what I've been believing has not necessarily been true. So it's kind of, it's a kind of a cool opportunity and kind of a cool trial. I'm sure there's a lot of winemakers who have, you know, who struggle with those kind of questions. I'm sure a chef has struggled with. <laughs> well, it's hard to admit that you have spent all this time and all this energy and all these, you've sacrificed so much in service of this thing that we wrap as part of our identity is like, I am a chef, I am a winemaker, I'm a whatever. Yeah. And it's to just kind of tease out the fact that like guest after guest after guest that come on the show, regardless of how much experience they have, regardless of if they wrote a cookbook or they were on TV or they have this many stars or they have this many employees at their business, like we all have things that we're still intimidated by. And yeah. the fact of the matter is like, I would be, Quite frankly, maybe even a little bit disappointed if someone came on the show and is like, nope, I know everything, you know, <laughs> it's like, get that out of your head that you're ever going to get to that place because it just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist for sure, man. And, and yeah, sometimes I feel like, oh, other people know it all, but like, you know, but it's not true. And, and it, it's, it's a healthy way to live. It's been interesting questioning the process. Um, a little bit, and it's, but it's kind of been cool. It's been cool to question the process because that's how you get better, you know. The next one is it's a I call it like the Saturday. It's a Saturday morning. You you know your first day off, and you kind of lumber into your kitchen, and you're going to make eggs for yourself. How do you make those eggs? Mm, first Saturday off in a while. <laughs> I'd probably do. I probably do like a slow cooked um, style with 
yeah, uh, uh, a good hunk of butter. Yeah, if, if I had some creme fraiche, I'd probably toss that in there too. So like a soft scramble kind of thing? Kind of like a super slow soft scramble. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not upset about a good fried egg either, but um, I make those on Fridays with for my, for my son. We, fried egg Friday. Love it. So if it was a Saturday, I would, I would do the slow, low and slow. Is there an ingredient that you're obsessed with right now? I've been way into anchovies and like can't get enough of anchovy. It's a very like, it, well, one, it's umami, but then it, it's like comfort and it reminds me of Italy. So for me, it's been very transportative. Do your kids get down with the anchovies? They don't get as excited as their dad does. Womp. Um, not Someday. yet, Someday. but they will for sure. Yeah. I, um, one of them barely eats anything green and the <laughs> other one, the other one is quite, he'll, is, 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 you know, we'll, we'll try almost everything. Last two questions for you. You sure. somehow get a call right after this conversation that you've just won an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. Mm. What is that restaurant and who is that person? Boy. Can I, can I, can I look up the restaurant real quick? Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's where my cousin works. Oh, it's Da Vittorio in Bergamo, and he's one of the chefs there. So I'd like to, I'd like to eat, eat, eat there. And, um, and who would I like to dine with? So just me, it's just me and it's kind of you one and, on one. You and a person. And the, the other yeah, caveat I'd, I like to add that makes this uh -huh. interesting is they can be living or dead. Man, I go with Bar Barack. I go with Obama. I always just want to hang out with that dude. I've always wanted to send him a bottle of wine to say, you know, thanks. Um, so it'd probably be, yeah, Obama. Is there anything you specific you would ask him or just to be in his presence would be? Yeah, know? I think just, yeah, I think just being in his presence and, you know, to be the first black president of the United States of America. Insane. Like, you know, what, what was that really like? You know, if I could like kind of get the inside scoop on that, I mean, so I think it'd be cool to, to, to kick it with Obama. You can answer this last question from the perspective of a winemaker or a, a winery owner or, or someone in wine. Or if you have something that specifically comes to mind for chefs, you can phrase this in, in, in that context as well. But okay. the question I normally try to end people with is, what do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? And you can swap chefs with winemaker if you want. Yeah, I think winemakers, yeah, I think it's an inclusivity thing for sure. You know, you see a lot more women winemakers these days, which is like awesome. Um, and I think we need, yeah, I think we need more people of color. It's been a pretty um, homogeneous business. And I think it would make it a terribly more exciting field. But yeah, I think I think that is inclusivity and having different perspectives and be more fun. I mean, is there an action item that potentially stands out to you as like such a low? I mean, pardon the pun, but like a low hanging fruit that someone who is mm -hmm. operating that could potentially make who's listening to this like this week, you can make this call to kind of move to nudge themselves in that direction or kind of like make make more opportunities available or, or, or whatever. Comes to mind yeah, I think, 
Yeah, I think making opportunities available, getting the word out in the right channels. You know, if we offered uh, intern, we would be very receptive and, you know, wanting to talk to as many candidates as possible. Asimo, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on or something that we maybe did touch on that you wanted to dive a little bit into more? Or do you have questions for me or, or any asks of the audience? Sometimes people ask me, like, what, you know, what are those wine moments in my life, you know, that have that have kind of left an impression on me? And, and you know, I think for me, it's, it's not just like the high-end wine that has left an impression on me. It's like, you know, it's like the you know, the, the, the restaurant wine, the vino da tavola that you get in Italy, you know, at the restaurant, uh, the house wine, you know, I think those wines have as much place as like Napa Valley Cabernet. I think they can bring as much joy. Um, and, you know, like, you know, the, the culture of wine, that's part of the culture of wine and even just drink and wine as a beverage. You know, there's wine as like this art form, but there's also wine as a beverage and like, you know, putting it in a tumbler or putting it over, put some wine in ice and, you know, summer peaches, you know, that was like, I don't want wine to feel so stuffy. And, you know, I guess maybe we make stuffy wines because we make Cabernet, but, um, you know, wine can be, playful and a part of everyday life as well. So I just want to like throw that out there because it doesn't all have to be, you know, the high end experience. So huge because you have to do a certain amount of saying no for the Costanza wines to be successful. You can't be everything to everybody, but you as the human Massimo can also enjoy i mean i I think that's why like ugly delicious with david chang did so well because everybody Mm. thought that david chang was like this you know high-end chef who had all these restaurants but then you see him like walking around eating dominoes in a netflix show and you're like (laughs) oh okay like this 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 makes it this is interesting uh he gets down like i get down (laughs) exactly exactly uh so yeah like there's there's something there to you know giving your business a certain identity but then also yeah. wanting to be an advocate for just like more people to get involved in your kind of like sphere, which is which is enjoying wine and, and food together and yeah, all the things that come with that. Totally. And, you know, it's yeah, I feel yeah, I, I pinch myself to, you know, be able to do what I do and uh, that people, you know, enjoy, you know the work that we, that me and my wife do, you know, it's, I have to give a big shout out to my wife because she does so much, uh, Aaron and, uh, and I couldn't do it without, without her support. Shout out to Aaron. Big shout out. Where do you want people to go if they potentially have a, either a question for you or they want to check out the wines or, or they want to read more about your work? Where, where should people go? Um, you can hit me up on my beeper if you want, or, no, uh, I'm, I'm dating myself here. Um, no, mdcwines.com. That's our website. Uh, info at mdcwines. That's a, a direct connect connect to myself or Aaron. Comes to both of us, so we'll see that. Please, yeah, reach out with any questions. And then, of course, we're on Instagram. And, um, we try to 
give a yeah an honest representation of 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 who we are and what we do thanks so much again for taking the time it was a joy to connect again after all these years and again just thanks again Thank you, Justin. This has been fantastic and, and really thought-provoking. I appreciate it. Massimo is one of the warmest-hearted, knows-how-to-live type of people that I've ever had the pleasure of coming across in my, I'm going to call it my entire career. He's just uh, uh, such a passionate person to speak with, and I just think he's really found the combination of work and lifestyle that a lot of us are sometimes told just doesn't exist and he's somehow find a, found a way to crack that nut and it was really a joy to get to talk to him. Friendly reminder that if you do want to support the show, you can check out and shop corin.com with any of the links down low in the description of this podcast and that does help out the content because Corin is a channel partner and those are affiliate links where you don't have to pay anything extra and we end up getting to earn which is really really great and so shout out to all of you who have been shopping like that because it truly truly does help if you want to subscribe and make sure that you get this podcast out to more folks that need to see this Apple Podcasts and Spotify allow you to do ratings now so Spotify didn't always let you do this but it would be a real help to to everything that we're trying to build as more and more people use pod, Spotify as their podcast player to leave a rating on Spotify. I'm going to be in the future, I think in the next couple weeks or so, doing some shout outs to folks who leave reviews on Spotify. And so especially if you end up doing that, if you want to go ahead and screenshot that you've left a five-star review, shoot it to me in an Instagram story, and I'm going to share all the people who end up doing that because, again, it really, really does help out the show. There's a reason that podcasters ask you to leave ratings on, on shows because it just it helps. And so thank you if you've done so already. And if you're planning on doing it, thanks in advance. Well, well, here we are together again at the end of another episode of the Repertoire Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a show for hospitality creators who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have already learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and if you're new here, I'd like to personally welcome you to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Friendly heads up to check out the show notes inside of the description of this podcast if you want to check out previous guests, links to specifics that got brought up in this episode, as well as other helpful content that we create and share here online because everything we do is focused on helping you along your journey. If you don't have a ton of time, the best place to start is with some value sent straight to your inbox every single week. It's called the Repertoire Newsletter, where we share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. If you subscribe, we'll keep you up to date on trends that are shaping the hospitality creator ecosystem. We'll share discounts on gear that we find, as well as content that we've been producing ourselves and helpful articles that we've already read and decided are worth your time. Last up, if you want to connect with other industry professionals in the Repertoire Pro community, you want to check out courses like Total Station Domination or download free tools that we've created, you can learn more at joinrepertoire.com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-P-E-R-T-O-I-R-E.com. The only ask from me is that if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review of this show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. Regardless, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.